Dear Heavenly Fathers, we come before you on this Sunday morning. We ask once again that you would encourage us in your word. And Lord, that we would sing these songs in a way that would be acceptable to you in true and biblical worship. We ask, Lord, that you would give us instruction and strengthen us and challenge us to live for you during this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The rest of us, let's open our Bible to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to take a journey through the Scriptures this morning. Uh, Not quite cover to cover, but we're going to get pretty close. And uh, as we begin the traditional time called the Christmas season... Uh, we, uh, I enjoy walking down Steinway Street and hearing, Oh, come all ye faithful. And, and uh, many of the other Christmas songs, now they play more than that, and some of them aren't very nice at all. Um, and no, uh, Virginia, there is not a Santa Claus, sorry. Uh, they were all wrong there with the movie. Uh, but what we're trying to do is understand and grow closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of each and every sermon. That is why we have a service here. That is why we continue. Uh, I sometimes will take some time and just look through outlines. um, um, Roughly three sermons a week for 26 years. Uh, That makes quite a few messages. And... uh, uh, we want to not, we're not looking for something new this morning. If we were doing that, we would have to leave the truth of God's Word. We are not looking for a new approach to an old truth. What we're trying to do, as Peter said, is to be reminded of the things in God's Word. Jesus was not born in Bethlehem's manger. Uh, you'll see uh, every year... Uh, there'll be something, uh, ACLU in the, uh, League of, of, uh, Atheists, um, always, whatever they call themselves, coming around trying to get the manger scenes taken out and any mention of Christ removed from public, uh, uh, address here. But could I challenge you not to be content? with allowing the Lord and Savior of the earth just to be the center of your nativity scene. Jesus was not born just to be a baby, but I I want us to understand something. And the title of this morning's message is simply this, The Only Hope. Bethlehem's manger is the only hope for mankind. We, we live in a wicked world, do we not? I mean, every, every day it seems that mankind finds some new way to rebel against God. Now, we know that's not true. There's nothing new under the sun. Uh, we add technology to it. We do other things. But could, could I just challenge you today the number one problem? that we face is sin. Would anybody want to argue that point? And it's not just sin that is out there. It is sin that is in our own lives and in our own hearts. If I were to 
ask every one of us uh, to be honest this morning. How many of you have had a sin problem since last Sunday morning? Would you raise your hand? Okay, I saw some hands that didn't go up. I hate to tell you this, you just added to the list. Um, Every one of us have had a problem with sin. Because contrary to popular belief, man is not good at its base. This is one of the greatest problems. We're arguing as a nation right now, we're trying to deal with socialism. And could I just simply challenge you that socialism demands things that God does not demand of mankind. That's why socialism never works. Socialism demands that every human being as a part of society be better than good. You give 100% effort and then you take the rewards of your effort and give it to everyone else. What well, Christmas would be every day of the year if that were true. But is that sustainable? No. If you ever really want a, an interesting study in, in that, on that subject, uh, read a true and honest account of the pilgrims. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. They came... And they had in their minds and hearts, many of them were believers in the God of this Bible. Uh, they were not Baptist, but uh, they were much closer to the Baptist faith than they were the Church of England. They had been persecuted there. And they were seeking religious freedom. And they had in their hearts and minds that if only we could just have our own society and our own rules, everything would be perfect. That's what the Mayflower Compact was all about. In fact, that is the first instance in the North American continent. And one of the first in Western civilization where every person who was a part of that society actually had a voice in how the society would be governed. Uh, We take that so for granted today that we don't understand how radical that was in 1620 on the Mayflower, when even the women were allowed to give a voice in what was going to happen in agreement with the laws and the, and the order that they set out. But how many of you know the story? Uh, that first winter wasn't very nice, now was it? In fact, nearly half of the people that came over on that Mayflower did not make it to the following spring. They starved to death, some of them. Disease. It it was a terrible time. Why? They were striving for a perfect society based on the goodness of man. Never, ever will it work. They restructured everything that following year. It wasn't just the Indians, my friend. It was good old-fashioned hard work and an opportunity to reap the rewards of that hard work. And they had so much they were able to share and the 
and the colony begin to thrive. Why do I give that history this morning? Because, well, really hadn't had a chance to give it yet. I always like to remind you every year uh, of what really happened. And see, these things have an impact on our society today. We, we live in a world where people believe in the goodness of mankind. Now, if you want to see that reflected in religion, uh, just go home and tune in Joel Osteen. I mean, that guy, he is so positive, he has never met a bad thing. Uh, he, he, he will tell you how good everything is and how wonderful it is. If you listen to him, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever heard him mention the word sin? Doesn't happen very often, does it? Not in a negative sense, that's for sure. You see, we, we live in a real world. And the biggest problem we have is sin. And by the way, it's not the great sin that went on in the nightclubs and the darkened uh, hotel rooms of this city last night. It's the sin that is in the lives of God's people. You see... Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for sin. And not everybody will accept that. We, we are not Calvinists here. We do not believe that Jesus only died to pay for the sins of people who would accept Him. We believe what the Bible says, that for God so loved the world, amen, and that His life and His propitiation is for all the sins of the world. But we're in Genesis chapter 3 here. And this is where sin started. And I want you just to read that last verse silently as I read it aloud of chapter 3, verse 24, chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. So he drove out man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. God expelled Adam and Eve from the garden. I I believe the Bible is a true account of real people's lives. That the, the story of Adam and Eve is real and the story of sin actually happened just the way uh, the Bible tells us. And because of sin, Adam and Eve had to be removed from the garden because in that garden there was something else. It was called the tree of life. And if Adam and Eve had reached out and taken the fruit of the tree of life in their fallen state, there would be no opportunity for redemption. And so God protected mankind from cementing himself, from locking himself into an unregenerate state. And God had already told them in verse 15 of chapter 3, He said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. If you like big, fancy theological terms, this is called the proto-evangelum. The pre-gospel is really just what that means, is God was giving mankind a testimony of what God was going to do to redeem mankind from their sin. 
The Bible tells us in Romans 5 and verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You know, I've met some people over the years that tried to argue that point and and said, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Oftentimes, when someone says, well, you know, that that's your interpretation. That's the, the Baptist understanding of the Bible. I'll go to Romans 3.23. Would you like to interpret your first verse? Oh, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I said, now what does the word all mean? It says, for all. What does that mean? Uh... Well, means everybody. Does that include the Pope? Uh, oh, yeah. All, all means all. Does that include you? Well, yeah. yeah. It's, it's everybody. All mankind. Okay. And now what's the rest? The, the next verse. The next words, I'm sorry. Have sinned. Now, what does it mean to sin? Well, uh, um Lying and murder and adultery. Well, normally they don't say lying. They say murder, uh, adultery, um, um, you know, really big sins. But Romans 3.23, is it talking about big sins and little sins? It's talking about sin, isn't it? How about gossip? Shopping on the computer while you're supposed to be working at the office. Stealing the boss's time. Goofing off. I mean, when we start talking about sin, that includes every one of us in this auditorium now, doesn't it? For all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to come short of the glory of God? Well, how many of you have ever been up real late at night and you turn on the radio just to hear some noise or something and you hear those late night advertisements about healing and health and you just need this. And I heard one guy one time, he's talking about the Wizard of Is. And he said, in you is the ability to heal yourself. And all you have to do is buy all my vitamin supplements and you take them. And you'll be well and strong. And I'm sitting here going, wow. You know what the great lie the devil gave Adam and Eve in the garden? Ye shall be as God. Do you know what the great lie we teach our we don't, but uh, they teach in our public schools? Ye shall be as God. You can reshape society. Uh, all of these commercials to realize your greatest potential. You know what the greatest potential of mankind is? A one-way ticket to an eternal hell. That is the greatest potential mankind can realize. 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You're not as good as God is. And by the way, here's the clarion call of our day. Oh, but I believe in, we all believe in the same God. How many of you know what James said about that? James chapter 2, let me just read it for you. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. You know, that's the problem with what we do, is we have people talking about how that this creation is so fragile that if mankind doesn't do all of these things to protect it, we're we're all going to have to move to the moon. Oh, yeah. How are you going to do that? And, And once we get there, how are you going to survive? Does anybody remember the biodome experiments? This was about 25, 30 years ago where they built this great big uh, uh, closed system. I think it was in the desert, Arizona and New Mexico somewhere. And, and these people were going to move in there and they were going to live as if they were... They were going to prove that you could live on the moon, uh, that mankind could solve his own problems, his own little world in there. How many people know what happened? Somebody opened the door and let air in and ruined the whole experiment. They cheated. Didn't work. They got fighting with each other. I wonder why the people living in there got fighting with each other. I mean, such good people who were going to solve all the world's problems. Because you can't go anywhere and not take your wicked, sinful, deceitful heart with you. Hello? Now, if you don't want to hear about those things, uh, go home and turn in, tune in Joel Olstein or hire you a psychiatrist. I think you could probably find one for two or three hundred bucks an hour, and, and he'd tell you all the things that you want to hear, but it won't do you one bit of good. You see, the truth is, the problem is sin. Now, let's turn to First Peter chapter. One for just a moment and look at some verses here. First Peter chapter one. And if you're ever trying to witness to somebody and they tell you that they're okay and that they're faith, and if they'll talk to you, one of the greatest questions you can ask them is, what does your faith do with sin? How, how do you, according to your understanding of God, your belief in God, how, how do you deal with sin? Well, here's what the Bible says in, in verse 18 of 1 Peter chapter 1. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. See, that's what this book called the Bible is about. That your faith... And your hope might be in God. 
How in the world can we know about God? Well, the Bible tells us right here. Verse 21, who by Him do believe in God. If you want to understand God, study the life of Jesus. We just spent the last several Sundays going through Second Peter chapter 1. It says, For unto us are given... Uh, let me just read the verse real quick here. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Everything you can know about God, you've got to start with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God's ultimate revelation to mankind. He has, He is what we can know. We know that God is love because Jesus died on the cross. Amen? We know that God is love because all of the things that Jesus had to put up with. How many of you have ever lost your patience with another human being? Would you raise your hand? Okay, good. I'm not the only one. Okay. Uh, we, we as human beings. And, and if you really want a test of patience, here, here is the greatest test of patience you can have. Try to teach someone something that you do very well. Take something you do very well and try to teach someone else that skill. I will tell you what. You, you're going to get tested. It, it, it's not going to come easy. Because it's so hard for us to remember that it took me 20 years of practice to do this. 30 years uh, Philip wonders why it's so hard to teach him a saxophone lesson. Well, I've been playing since I was in the ninth grade. And, and it's hard to... Honk. No, that's not the right note. Let's try it again. Let's start over. But we're going to work on that. We're going to get it done. I'm making a public promise, okay? You see, it's so easy for us to lose our patience, but God never did, now did He? Jesus, oh, He rebuked the disciples. But you know, sometimes we need rebuke. Would you be willing to admit that this morning? Would you be willing to receive that from the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you allow Him to tell you that you are wrong and that He is right? Uh, would would that not be fitting way to respect God and to learn about Jesus? Amen. Uh, he was in. He came to Bethlehem's manger so that he could take upon him. And we're going to get there in just a second. Human flesh, not so that he could know what we go through. Oh, we we have such a little view of God sometimes. It, it, it's hard as a preacher. I can't tell you how many times I've stood in this pulpit. And, and I'll talk to people and I'll say, did, did you not hear 
anything? Did you, did you not get any point? And then I have to remember what Jesus had to put up with. He said, praise God, I'm not there yet. So we'll just keep treadling along. Amen? But would you listen? Would you get a hold of this thing? You see, our salvation does not lie in the physical realm. Nothing you can do can get you one second in eternity with God. We are redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He shed His blood on Calvary's cross. And the Bible says this was foreordained before the foundation of the universe. And, and, and our, uh, uh, I, I was almost said our Calvinist friends, but they're not our friends. They're really the enemies of the truth. Uh, they, they want to say, see there, see there, it was foreordained. God planned everything. That's not what it says. It says that God planned a way for man to be able to deal with sin. But who did all the dealing, my friend? God did, didn't He? Jesus offered Himself through the eternal Spirit unto God to pay the price for our sins. God understood before He said, let there be light, that only He could deal with the problem of our sin. Can we say amen to that? And turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2, if you would. Now, I hope I'm not bursting anyone's bubble today and that you would understand Jesus was not born on Christmas Day. The Bible is very clear. It does not give us the date of Jesus' birth. We, we just don't know when it was. But I, I'm on record as saying, I'm not lining up with the ACLU and cursing Christmas. If we want to fight the world, that's not the way to do it. If we want to stand against the world, let's tell them the truth about Jesus. Amen? And here in Hebrews chapter 2, and, and we'll start reading in verse 14. How I'd like to take time to read the whole chapter. But it says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people." For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. 
Again, I want to make the statement that the manger of Bethlehem is the only hope for mankind. If you're here today, it is the only hope of the forgiveness of sins. Our, our songs, our Christmas carols, they, they try to approach to these things. Uh, I, I love that hymn, and can it be, and hark the herald angels sing. But, you know, Mr. Wesley had some real problems understanding what Jesus did. Uh, in and can it be, he says, emptied himself of all but love. No, he didn't empty himself. If he did, he'd have to become less than God. What did he do? He veiled it. He just covered it up. Every once in a while, he would pull that veil back just the teeniest little bit. When they came to arrest him in the garden, they said, he said, whom seek ye? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he uttered just one syllable. I am, too, in English. And they fell down backwards. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he pulled back that veil just a little bit so James and John and Peter could begin to understand. And what did they do? Oh, let's make three tabernacles. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. You're first, Lord, but I mean, uh, Moses and Elijah, wow! They weren't supposed to be impressed with other men. That's why God spoke from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. If you know it, say it with me. Hear ye Him, not them. Amen? Jesus took upon Him the seed of Abraham. And He chose to obey God's plan. That through death, Jesus would destroy him that had the power over death. You see, the devil had the key. But Jesus submitted to death. But he couldn't stay that way, amen? Death had no power over him. He holds the keys of death and hell. Jesus destroyed him that had the power of death. That's the devil. That's what our text says. And yet, each one of us have gotten tripped up by the devil this week. I want to challenge you. He is still a formidable foe. Don't ever... I, I don't know how else to describe it than this. Don't ever allow yourself to get in a chess game with the devil. Or whatever other game that you might want to uh, pretend. I mean, how many... Uh, and most of us are familiar with the, the pool sharks. That's why I don't go to those places. They let you win two or three games... A, a dollar a ball, five dollars a ball, and then they want to bet you some real money and they build you up and you're, you're winning and doing all this stuff and then they take you to the cleaners. Uh, isn't that the way the world works? That's the way the devil works. Makes you thinking you're pretty good, show up church, you're dressed right, smell right, all those wonderful things. And by the way, that's not a bad thing. 
if you're coming to church, that, that's a good thing. Amen? But uh, uh, that's not the end result. That's not the goal. The goal is to be delivered by the Lord Jesus Christ. The goal is to live righteously in these evil days. The goal is not to relate to the world in which we live, but to prepare ourselves for eternity to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. It almost seems like you have to just surrender hope to live in this world. It's just a bad place and, and it's going to get better. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. And, and the Bible does say men will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But I want you to look with me in Hebrews chapter 10. And in verse 7, then Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldst not, neither hast pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Now read those last three words with me out loud, would you? Once for all. Got about half of you. Let's try it again. The offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We have a song that we sing. Once for all, O sinner, believe it. Once for all, what, uh, once, uh, I'm miss, messing up the words, but one, once for all, oh brother, believe it. Jesus died one time for all sins, forever. That's why he was born in Bethlehem's manger. That's why he wants us to live a Christian life. We live in a world where evil is called good and good is called evil. We, we live in a world where our society rejoices in the most vile types of mankind's rebellion toward the only one holy God. And and there's a history here. You have the world here and the church here. And the world moves here and the church moves here. And the world moves here and the church moves here. Now, could I challenge you when I use the word church? I'm talking loosely in an unbiblical sense of every organization that just considers itself a church. The true church of Jesus Christ 
is supposed to stay where Jesus put it. Amen? I had a rather difficult conversation this week. In fact, I've had several. It's been a tough week. And someone told me, well, I'm not coming back because I, I just don't connect in your church the way I, I, I'd like to connect. Those were the exact words that were used. And I said, excuse me, is that what church is about for, for you to connect? Do, do you think that we do the things we do, that I preach the way I preach, that, that we try to have this church move in the direction that it does because it, it just appeals to me? Why, that's absolutely false. Uh, there's a whole lot easier ways to do this than what we're trying to do right here, my friend. But it wouldn't be identifying with Jesus Christ who died for us and gave his life for us. See, what we're trying to do is we're trying to live the Bible way. You know what that means? Are you ready? Failure. That's what it means. Now, isn't it? Hello? Did anyone not fail? We, we fail over and over again. Why? Because we're human. Because we don't take to heart the things that are in God's Word. We don't get the things that we need to stand for the Lord and to uh, protect us. I, I will tell you that I have never fallen prey to temptation standing behind the Lord Jesus or holding His hand. Whatever picture you want to, to have there, if I'm walking in close fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the temptations just don't seem to be that important. But I'll tell you, when Peter took his eyes off the Lord and started looking at the wind and the waves... It didn't take long for the water to start coming up. His person now did it. That meant he was sinking. Uh, the water level wasn't rising, but Peter was falling in. And he cried out, but Jesus was close enough to grab him. Uh, let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus picked Peter up and carried him back to the boat and put him over the side? Not only would that been embarrassing, that would have been absolutely unnecessary. Because Peter had no problem trusting in Jesus when he was holding his hand, amen? When Jesus had a hold of him, he pulled him up out of the water. And, and I've tried to preach this truth so many times, but I, don't, I, I just don't know how to get it across. When, when we get to heaven... There's only going to be one thing on your heart and one thing on your mind. That is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not going to be wondering about all the glories of heaven. You're not going to be admiring the perfectness of the pearly gates or the purity of the gold that the streets are made out of. 
you're only going to be enamored with the presence and the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you would like to practice a little bit for heaven? See, that's what the Christian life is getting is about. Jesus was born in Bethlehem's manger. What does it say in Hebrews chapter 1? And when he bringeth his first begotten, only begotten into the world, he said, let all the angels of God worship him. That's why the angels showed up. That's one of the reasons I celebrate Christmas. If God could send all of the angels in heaven to herald his birth, we could sing a few hymns in church and we could honor and glorify him. But here is the challenge. We live in a world that's crowded with voices and everyone's telling us we can get what we need to serve Christ somewhere else other than this book called the Bible. I wish I had a dollar for everyone that said, Pastor, you got a good book uh, we're going through and, they, and maybe the book of Romans, Hebrews, something. Would, would you know a good commentary I could read on my own? I said, yeah, I got one. You're not going to like it. It's this one. Uh, well, Pastor, do you got a good book on how to raise a family and how to live for God? And Yeah, I got one book I recommend. I don't recommend any of the other books. Because once we start searching for what God has for us somewhere else, the devil's won. Because we'll never find it. Because man's ideas and man's thoughts are always in front of God's words. But if we'll just take a Bible. You say, well, I, I wouldn't even know where to look. And listen, that's what this is for. Just pull it out, call me, and I'll, I'll tell you where to look. Amen? If I don't know where to look, I'll, I'll find out where to look. But most of the time, uh, uh, in just a few seconds, I can give you some places to look and to find these things. The answers are in there. When we start looking somewhere else, that is when we give credence to the devil. Am I saying open door Bible Baptist Church is the only true church? Far from it. We have hundreds and hundreds of churches all over this world, thousands, that simply believe God's Word. Don't believe Harold Camping. The church is not dead. He is, but the church isn't. Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. And as we begin... This Christmas season, I want you to remember, evil is not winning. Jesus has already won. I want you to understand something. That no matter what I face and no matter what you face, Jesus is the victor. And if you understand what mercy is, mercy is something that the defeated can receive at the hands of the victor. Amen? And we need mercy. You can find it at the foot 
of an empty cross, my friend, because Jesus said it is finished. You can find it at the door of an empty tomb because he is risen. But you'll only find it at a heart that is empty of yourself. Because if yourself is still there, there's no room for Jesus. See, as we celebrate Christmas, everybody loves a baby. And I'll tell you, I'm first in line. I love babies. You know what? They can't talk back. Uh, they can't do a lot of things and they just need to be taken care of. And, and that's a wonderful. I mean, it's, it's wonderful to pick up a crying baby and rock it back and forth. And all of a sudden, they coo and coo and making little sounds. I, I just enjoy that. But I'll tell you this, that's not why Jesus was born in the manger. He was born so that we could find mercy at the feet of the victor. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And Lord, there's not a one of us in this auditorium this morning that isn't needing some victory somewhere in our lives. Lord, there may be some here that do not know you. They have not settled the issue of their eternity as of yet. Lord, we ask that they would look to Bethlehem's manger, to an empty cross, to an empty tomb. And that they would be willing to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else. Lord, we pray for those that are burdened and weighed down with the cares of this world. Lord, those that have been defeated by the devil and by their own flesh and by the, the, the desires to be a part of this wicked world in which we live. That we would come to the foot of an empty cross, the door of an empty tomb. But Lord, the hardest place for us to arrive is a heart that is empty of ourselves. Lord, we ask that today we'd be willing to put on an old-fashioned altar our desires, our fears, our cares, our hurts, our pains, our suffering. And we would accept mercy from the one who suffered in our place. The one who satisfied every ounce of God's holiness and fulfilled every bit of God's love. Lord, we ask that you would give us the victory that Jesus has promised. Not that we're going to go out and fight the world. That's not our battle. Lord, our greatest battle is ourselves. And Lord, that we would surrender to you and to your word and let you win the victories in our lives that we so desperately need. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.
Amen. Let's stand together as the hymn of invitation is sung. We would.